0: I'm gonna remember this without Ryan's help. That last part, if I were to remain in the valley, to remain in the valley today, help me out, Ryan. Bless the Lord. Bless, Bless the Lord, for He gives me Himself. Uh, my memory really is that bad, uh, but thankful for the Lord for His grace in all things. Um, beautiful, beautiful song. Well, good morning to you, North Hills, uh, to our covenant members, our guests, our first-timers alike. We invite you this morning to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, as I believe, if my uh, sermon math is right, I believe this is sermon number 10, and as we find ourselves finishing up chapter 6 and entering into chapter 7, so we're going to be from 6.15 to 7.4, I do believe. This morning we come to a pivotal passage in Nehemiah, where Nehemiah uh, finally does as he set out to do. And that is to complete the wall and that we've been talking a lot about uh, in these past couple months. And so we're very excited to see uh, the completion of the wall. But the book is not yet done. There's still a good bit of things uh, that will happen. And the Lord will continue to use Nehemiah in the life of our congregation. But this morning, let us just go ahead and jump into our text. We're going to read Nehemiah 615 through 7.4. says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, In fifty two days. And when all of the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son, Jehoanan, had taken the daughter of Mishulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites, and had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, and the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we get to open your word and we get to proclaim your truth. And I pray, Lord, that is exactly what happens this morning, that your truth is proclaimed that Jesus has made much of, that we can understand what is happening in this text. And Lord, uh, what you are at work doing. Pray that you would keep me from error this morning, and that Christ would be exalted. In his name we do pray. Amen. Well, this morning as we look at this uh, section of Scripture, as we finish the, as we come to the completion of the wall, there are three things that I would like us to see this morning. They are this, that God completes his work. God completes his work we'll see in the first couple verses and then we're going to turn uh, to the next few verses that the enemy continues his opposition so God completes his work the enemy continues his opposition and finally that there is a, pl- a plan is set in place and so as we walk through this uh, we'll see these three things come to the forefront uh, what that looks like in Nehemiah's time and what it looks like in our time today so when you go to the beginning of this passage here, uh, that the wall is finished, it says in no uncertain terms in verse 15. So the wall was finished and it gives us some dates or it gives us a date on the 25th day of the month of Elul in, the, in 52 days. And so we see just right out of the gate that God completes his work because this is the work as we've seen all through Nehemiah. As we're going to be reminded again in uh, verse 16 that Yes, Nehemiah is is kind of the head here in Jerusalem. He's been sent by seemingly uh, the king of Persia, but in reality, he's been sent and dispatched by God, that he is a leader of the Lord. He's the leader of God's people. We know he's the leader of this, uh, this wall project. We know the people of God have been involved, but ultimately, this is the Lord's project. God has called Nehemiah, has called his people. He's furnished his people. He's done all of these things we've looked at in Nehemiah to build the wall, and now it is finished. Now the wall is complete. Since the wall was finished on this twenty fifth day of the month of Eloh. The wall is complete. Nehemiah's vision and mission has been completed uh, on this particular day on the twenty fifth day of Eloh, which is roughly October, uh, October fourth through fifth, if I remember correctly. Roughly. Um, now if you remember, if you go back to Nehemiah chapter one, I believe we see, Nehemiah shows up. On the month of Nisan, which is roughly March April. So he shows up. And if you remember, we're not, we're not going to recap all of Nehemiah. But if you remember, whenever he shows up, he waits a long time to go to work, right? No, he shows up and he's ready to get to work. He, he goes and, uh, and checks it out in the middle of the night by himself to know what's going on. He instantly devises a plan. He gathers the people. He already has the resources that he gathered coming in that we'll look at in just a minute. And so he begins work right away. So he begins work right away in the month of Nisan. He finishes in the month of Elul. And so roughly this is about a six-month project. Roughly it took about six months to build and to complete this wall. Now, it says there that it took 52 days, and 52 days, or rather. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. It can mean one of two things. It can mean that, indeed, it took 52 days to build the wall from start to finish. But that seems a little difficult, because if it was just 52 days from start to finish, they would leave three months of just PTO time. It would leave three months of them not working. And we don't see that to be the case in Nehemiah, that he started immediately. So it's stand to reason, these 52 days is the length of time between uh, our passage last week as we started chapter 6 and they try to go to the land of Ono and they had this um, encounter with their uh, their opposition again and they ultimately met, um, who uh, who did they meet there, Adam? It was, um, yeah, Shemaniah there in verse 10. When they met uh, uh, Shemiah in verse 10 and he and we'll get, get to him in just a moment. So it seems to be that after that encounter, they're in the middle of, Chapter six, it's been 52 days to finish the wall, to finish this project. It was likely the number of days it took to finish after the opposition that we see in chapter six. So after the wall was built and we see there in chapter six, he says, hey, it's done, except we've got to finish the gates and the doors. So as contractor Nehemiah or maybe engineer Nehemiah, you can hear two weeks, give me two weeks. That two weeks took 52 days. But regardless of these exact dates, uh, it is clear that this whole project uh, from Nehemiah's arrival in Jerusalem to what we see in 615, that this project is done in six months. Uh, this wall that will, will stand Uh, The test ultimately of time to a degree That we'll look look at in just a moment And what makes this more amazing Is not just the time uh, Not just the time that it took to build the wall And to get it complete But the obstacles they faced And just to recap uh, Five obstacles we've seen in In our walk through Nehemiah Number one was permission If you remember from the very beginning He had to get permission from the king of Persia To return to Jerusalem He was the cupbearer of the king He had a very coveted position Very close position But the Lord granted and overcame that obstacle in the beginning. And then we see the resources. He said, okay, I've got the permission, but I need the resources. I need all the things from the king's uh, storehouse, if you will, from his forest. And they gave him letters. We're going to see lots of letters this morning. And so he had the resource uh, obstacle that he overcame through the Lord's providence. We see opposition. And this has been a theme of Nehemiah, the opposition of Nehemiah. We're going to encounter again this morning because it does not stop. All through the journey of Nehemiah in this letter, we see opposition from Sanballat, from Tobiah, from Geshem, uh, surrounded on all sides. So there's no shortage of opposition. So he overcomes the obstacle of permission, the obstacle of resources, the obstacle of opposition, and also internal conflict. If you remember, as if it wasn't bad enough outside the walls, even inside the walls, we saw that, there, uh, that the people of Israel were taking advantage of and exploiting other people of Israel. And he had, a, uh, he had to work through that and lead through that. The Jews were exploiting one another. And finally, especially this past in the beginning of chapter 6, we see the tactics of intimidation. The Shemaiah he tried to scare Nehemiah. Um, he tried to ultimately trick him into sinning. And so at every turn, it's not just been the difficult process. If you remember the number one obstacle, he doesn't know how to build a wall, right? And so despite all of these things, the wall is completed. So when you see there in Nehemiah 6.15, so the wall was finished. That's a big thing. In six months' time, despite all of these obstacles, he has completed the wall and done so at an incredible speed. Now, up until recently, the wall of Nehemiah was actually in doubt by many scholars. Now, we don't have to doubt uh, the the reality of Nehemiah's wall because it's right here. It's greater than any, any, any archaeological find. But yet there were some who doubted it because there was no physical evidence. But as recently as 2008, an archeological team uh, found the remains of Nehemiah's wall. And what they found, as you can imagine, it was not a very pretty wall. So they built it fast, um, but it it was not a beautiful wall as many of the walls were during this time. But the point is that this wall was completed to protect the people of Jerusalem. Uh, it stood and performed its purposes the wall that was built the wall that was completed the wall that we see here in verse 15 that was finished after these six months it uh, fulfilled its purposes three purposes if you will of this wall to protect the people of God that seems obvious right to protect the people of God You see them from the very beginning going inside the walls and living inside the walls. And ultimately, they finished the the big parts of Jerusalem so far. They've restored the the altar and the temple. They've restored the walls now. Now they're about to fill it with even more people as we'll start next week. But the purpose of the wall, one, is to protect the people of God. Two, is to preserve the city of God this is at this time in uh in redemptive history this is the city of god it had a lot of weight It had a lot of meaning god was going to do great things through it chiefly uh christ and we're going to look at christ and his um especially this resurrection uh uh this resurrection sunday that's coming up we're going to spend a couple weeks building up to it we're going to see the importance even of jerusalem and so many things in redemptive history So it protects the people of God. It preserves the city of God. And then what we see here in verse 16, it displays the power of God. The fact that they've built this wall, they've done it the way they've done it, it displays the power of God. And we see this in verse 16. I mean, all of our enemies heard of it. Heard of what? Heard of the completion of the wall in these six months and the 52 days since its opposition had incurred. Had occurred when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So they knew that Nehemiah couldn't do this. They knew that this fledgling nation of Israel couldn't do this. They knew that it had to be at the hand of their God that this was accomplished, that this wall was rebuilt. This wall was restored. Because remember, parts of the wall was already there. They had to re, uh, restore the wall. It was burned in many places. It was in rubble in many places. And this small group of Israel, led by Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, in six short months, completely rebuilt it. And it says, The enemy fell greatly in their own esteem, for they had perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So what's the purpose of this wall? To protect the people of God, to preserve the city of God. But it's to display the power of God. To display the power of God. This wasn't, hey, look at Nehemiah. Hey, look at the Jews. But it was, look at what God has done. As every work of God should be in our life and in the life of the church. The hope here is the reminder that God completes His work God set out for this wall to be rebuilt. He puts all the things in line. He overcomes all the obstacles. He puts all the right people in place. You know how you know they're the right people? Because God had them in place. And so God put everyone in place, everything in place, and God completes his work. He had called Nehemiah to restore the walls of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah, by the power of God, did that very thing because God always completes his work. And what about today? Does God is God still at work? And if so, does God still complete His work absolutely? For God always completes His work. Two aspects of God's work, as we could talk about God's work for a long, long time. But two particular areas I like to look: one is God's work for us, and two is God's work in us. So God's work for us uh, is the work that He did on the cross. Nowhere has God done more for us than what He has done through His Son Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus, who is both fully man and fully God, willingly laid down his life and was crucified for you and for me and for all of those who would turn to him in faith. He died a sinner's death that we might live a life of righteousness. And that is the work of God. And it's not our work, that is not our ability. That is God's work for us. Whenever on the cross, Jesus says it is finished. All of his work was not yet complete, but that part was fully done, was fully completed. Among other aspects of Jesus' ministry, the atoning work of salvation was complete. And we could just unpack it is finished for quite a while. For so much was accomplished in that moment, but his work was not done on the cross. What was still to come was the resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, sending of the Holy Spirit. And just as he is faithful in completing his work on the cross, he showed himself faithful too in all of these things, in the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to heaven and his sending of the Holy Spirit. And he still has work to do. He is not yet done. He is coming back for his people as he promises and as we see, every promise of, of God is yes. Everything he sets to do is done. Nothing keeps him from his work. He will do that as well. He will come back and receive his people. He will complete his work for us. And secondly, his work in us. A couple of references, if you want to write these down, we won't turn to them. Ephesians 2.10, let's start there. As we think about God's work in us. Paul tells the church of Ephesus for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we are the workmanship of God so he is at work in us not just for us but in us he is doing something inside of his people he is doing the work Philippians 1.6 again Paul through the Holy Spirit says this I am sure of this Paul lacks no confidence in general, but specifically right here. It says this, I am certain, I am sure that he who began a good work in you, who is Christ, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we are his workmanship and we are his work in progress. Because as I look up, out over this church, all of you are a work in progress. None of you have arrived as I look in the mirror every morning, Lord has His hands full. But He is going to complete this work. And there's no one better for the task than God because we are His workmanship and He is actively working in us just as much as He works for us. And He is faithful in completing His work. And so let's not think that the Lord's work is on one side of the ledger and ours is on the other that the Lord's going to do His part and save us we're going to do our part and get to heaven <laughs> doesn't work like that it is the Lord who does all these things it is at His hands just like the walls were built by ultimately God in every aspect it is Him who is at work it is at God who is at work both for us and in us and God faithfully completes His work but the story in Nehemiah is not over. Not only do we see that God completes his work, we also see that the enemy continues continues his opposition. Shouldn't it be enough? Shouldn't it be over? Haven't we seen the three stooges here? Tobiah and, um, help me out, the three guys Tobiah, Geshem, and my, my mind lazy. What's the name? Sanballat. Thank you. Sanballat or Sanbalat. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem—shouldn't it be enough? Okay, the wall's done, guys. Let's retreat. Let's get out of here. Obviously, God's at work, but that is not what we see. The enemy—what we see—is the enemy continues his opposition. And now we get a little insight into this guy Tobiah and who he is and what's going on. Verse 17. Moreover in those days the nobles of judah sent many letters to tobiah and tobiah's letters came to them so we see this back and forth here right they're writing to tobiah he's writing to them for many in judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of era the son of uh jehohan and taking the daughter of mesh the son of Berechiah as his wife and also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. Now you may get lost in some of that, but if you haven't got lost yet, if you've read this already, if you've spent any time in it, there is so much um, terrible stuff happening right here. There's so much treachery and betrayal happening right here behind the walls, within the walls of Jerusalem, as the enemy continues his opposition clearly we have some pen pals we have Tobiah and these uh th- these elite people the nobles of Judah who are writing letters back and forth now why Tobiah in case you don't remember who Tobiah is he is the leader of Ammon which is the home man of guess who the Ammonites <laughs> that's where Ammonites come from uh, Ammon or Ammon so the home man of the Ammonites the historical enemy of God Tobiah has also has been opposing the rebuilding of Jerusalem and its walls at every single term, and he is in cahoots with the nobles of Judah. So Tobiah is a terrible guy, and he's not from Jerusalem. He is a Gentile. So why is what is going on with him? Why is he the enemy? Why does he continue to oppose? Why is he such a big deal? Two things, two things that are in the foundation of Tobiah, money and marriage. Money and marriage. What makes him a formidable opponent, what makes him in cahoots, if you will. I like that word cahoots, C-A-H-O-O-T-S, in case you want to spell that properly. is money and marriage. We see that it says there in verse 18, For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Now, what does this mean to be bound by oath? It is a reference to doing business. They were business partners. And not just some, but many in Jerusalem, it says, find themselves with this significant business relationship with this Gentile leader, with this Ammonite, Tobiah. And so money is on the line. And there's no difference in um, this time period versus 2,500 years from now That is the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money that presses us to do things we don't want to do. And so these nobles of Judah, apparently their pockets are being lined by their relationship and their partnership with Tobiah. We see corruption fully on display right here because of this oath that was made to him. And not only did we see this business oath, this business partnership, but also he was married to a Jew. And not just him, but his son as well. So both Tobiah and his son were married to Jewish women. And so we talked about the sin of intermarriage uh, several weeks ago. And the sin of intermarriage, again, is clearly on display here and its consequences. Tobiah has made his way inside the wall because of his marriage because of his relationship he's now in the community of the Jewish people and he's in business with them and he's setting himself up to continue to be able to oppose the work and the will of God so Tobiah he was in tight he was in close he and his son had married into the community and he was making them money Be close to somebody. That's a good tactic right there. Get them into the family and let them make you money. But it wasn't a fake loyalty that these nobles gave to Tobiah, as you see there in verse 19. And also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. So you see two Things happening here. It's in the presence of Nehemiah, these nobles. They're saying all the good things about Uncle Tobiah, right? All the good things about the business part. All the things that he is doing so well. And they're waiting for Nehemiah's response. And they're just writing that down and sending it back to Tobiah. Let me tell you, this is the most letter writingest group I think I've ever seen in the Bible. There are so many letters going back and forth. Letters everywhere. You get a letter, and you get a letter. Everyone gets a letter, right? And so here's more letters. They're documenting these things. They're reporting uh, Nehemiah's response to Tobiah, and they send it back to him. And what does Tobiah do? He sends more letters. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. He continues to oppose the work and the will of God and the man of God, the people of God, and he's trying to continue to make Nehemiah afraid. But Nehemiah knows that he does not stand on his own. But he stands in the power of God. He stands in the presence of God. And he is doing the work of God and the will of God. And so Nehemiah does not retreat. Nehemiah does not flee. Nehemiah does say, okay, well, the wall's done. You guys got it. I'm out of here. But he does set them up. And so we see that the Lord, that we see that God completes his work We see the enemy continues uh, his opposition. And we see even in the midst of this opposition, we can see how deep this deception and betrayal goes. And before we move on to our last point, I don't want us to miss the irony here that all of this emphasis on the wall being rebuilt to keep the enemies of God out, and now we see the enemies of God inside the walls, behind the walls that have been built This reminds us just of how relentless the nature of the enemy is. The enemy is relentless. In the words of the young people, can't stop, won't stop. The enemy of God will continually oppose the will of God. Go with me real quick to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. A few verses. Starting in verse 10, and how you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So we, we see this in Nehemiah as well. But listen to verse 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be happy and prosperous. Now, all of those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, kind of wrap up both Tobiah and these uh, Jewish nobles there, while these evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we will have persecution. We will have opposition. Just as Tobiah wanted to destroy Nehemiah, Satan seeks to destroy us today. And You may or may not agree with this, but it would seem to me that rarely... Does the enemy have to rely on persecution at least in our part of the world today? There are many of our brothers and sisters who endure a persecution that we at least have yet to know, to know in our country. But he still has tactics. I'm going to run through these very quick. You don't have to write all these down. But some tactics of the enemy as he continues to oppose God's word, God's will, and God's work is Distraction. A tactic of the enemy is distraction Diverting focus from God with busyness And this may be in order right here Number one, distraction Number two, deception Twisting the truths and leading believers astray Deception like the serpent in that garden Does God really say? And we see deception every single day Especially in pulpits Maybe we should say podiums Maybe not pulpits podiums across America. Deception, twisting truths, and leading believers astray to so distraction, deception, discouragement. Sowing doubt through hardships and failures. The enemy can do that. The enemy can come in and take the joy out of your life if you don't have your joy rooted in Christ. So with the hardships, with failures, with disappointments and difficulties, division, Disrupting unity with conflict and differences. We talked about this a few weeks ago as we looked at the exploitation of God's people. But the enemy uses division as an opposition against God's people. Desensitization, hard word for me to say. I practiced, didn't work. Normalizing sin through gradual experience. Normalizing sin. Through gradual exposure, sorry. We become desensitized to sin. The enemy opposes us and attacks us. Dependency on self. Maybe the American dream, right? You're good enough, you're smart enough, doggone people like you. You can do this. You don't need anyone else. Promoting self-reliance over trust in God. And lastly, a distortion of God's character a distortion of God's character. And we see this as a way that is clearly a tactic of the enemy to misrepresent God and to alienate believers. So just as Tobiah wanted to destroy Nehemiah, Satan seeks to destroy the church and God's people today. Although the enemy was defeated at the cross and will be eternally condemned at Christ's return, he continues his opposition of God and his people today. The enemy continues his opposition. God completes his work. And finally, there is a plan set in place. There is a plan set in place. So this brings us into uh, the beginning of chapter 7. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Wouldn't you love to be described as that? Isn't that a fantastic way for Nehemiah as he is kind of handing over the baton, as he's setting up all these people, putting the right people in the right places at the right time? As he talks about Hananiah, he was more faithful and God-fearing than many. And I said to them Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open Until the sun is hot And while they are still standing guard Let them shut and bar the doors Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem Some at their guard posts And some in front of their own homes A plan is set in place So as we dip into chapter 7 for a moment Let us take a brief look at this plan That Nehemiah sets in place He sets his efforts on seeing that the right people are in the right places. Those he sets. He sets the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites, the guards, Hananiah, and Hananiah. This man who is to be found faithful in the Lord. doesn't seem that he was going after necessarily the best leader, the best warrior, the best politician. The the description we have of Hananiah is that he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. So he is putting the right people, those who fear the Lord, who trust the Lord, who look to the Lord. Because Nehemiah knew that the walls were not enough. God's people had to be about God's work as well. The emphasis here is that people are needed for the work of God. People are needed for the work of God. Now, people are only needed for the work of God because God declares that they be used for his work. God does not need us. It's kind of like maybe a somewhat equivalent of your four-year-old helping you put something up. You really don't need him, right? He's just cute. Isn't it cute that God uses us? Because he doesn't need us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. But he chooses to use people to bring about his work and do his will. God chooses to use people to bring about his will and complete his work. The church needs people. She needs elders, deacons, worship leaders, teachers of adults, teachers of teens, teachers of children, those who care for babies, those who exercise hospitalities, greeters, and so many more. We should desire and seek out how to serve the church because the church is God's plan. We know Christ is the ultimate plan. God is the provision. Christ is the provision for salvation, but God has chosen to use the church to bring about His work and to bring about His kingdom. And the church needs people. And the gospel needs people. Again, I'm just going to keep saying that the gospel doesn't need anybody, but God has chosen to use people to bring about and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Romans how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We talked in our youth Sunday morning Bible study today about the the parable of the sower. The sower, that's his job. He just sows seeds and reminded what Paul said, that one plants and one waters. But God gives the growth and God brings that growth. The gospel needs people. God chooses to use people to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And next week, the message will be all about people. We're going to see a long list of people and how they're used in the kingdom of God. As we said earlier, the walls are built, the temple is in place, the altars in place. But we see there in verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. So it's ready. The city of God is ready for the return of the people of God. And they've been returning in waves. And now we're going to see more return and fill the city of God. In closing, remember this. The work God begins, He faithfully completes. As we stand firm against opposition and engage in kingdom's work, let us look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of His promises. May we leave today excited eager to take our place in god's plan encouraged that the enemy has no true victory in our life and eager to serve this same faithfulness and dedication that we see in nehemiah let's pray lord i thank you for this morning i thank you